You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Dairy Gold Agribusiness. For quality feed, expert service, and support you can trust. Welcome to our programme. I'm John O'Connor. Coming up, Chagas Dairy Advisor Mallow, Adrian O'Callaghan, with tips on grass management. Jim O'Regan on the forthcoming De Courcy Working Vintage Machinery event. Helen O'Sullivan, Beef Plan Movement. But our top story, the Minister for Agriculture, Food and the Marine, Michael Creed, looks back at the origins of the BEAM 100 million euro fund for beef farmers. Minister Creed, welcome to the programme. Well, thank you, John. The, ba- the background to it, first of all, is, you know, obviously um, a period of prolonged depressed prices in the beef market and an acknowledgement to a case presented by myself to the European Commission and to Commissioner Hogan in particular to look for uh, support from the Commission. In early May, they announced a fund of £50 million and the Exchequer and the government decided to put another £50 million with it. So we have come up with a scheme and the outline of it is... As follows, basically, it will pay 40 euros per suckler cow up to a maximum of 40 cows. It will pay, and they're for cows that calved in 2018, it will pay 100 euros per animal slaughtered in the reference period, which is between the 24th of September 2018 and the 12th of May 2019. Uh, there are some conditionality to the scheme. It's uh, contingent on applicants being either in a quality assurance scheme or currently part of one of the department's environmental schemes, in other words, organics, BDGP, the GLOSS scheme. And there's a requirement that over a reference period that the organic nitrates load on any farm is reduced by 5%. That's a stipulation, I hasten to add, that has been insisted upon by the Commission. I think it's manageable. Um, I think the 5% reduction over the period is... Uh, not too onerous, and I think, you know, by individual farmers, uh, you know, either buying stock later or selling stock earlier, that's uh, a condition that I think is well uh, manageable. Not a brown cent, John, not a brown cent of this will go to meat factories, feedlots controlled by meat factories. It won't be available to agents uh, or dealers. It will be exclusively targeting the beef sector. I have, on reflection, opened it up to very small-scale dairy uh, suppliers. People who milk under 40 cows or less uh, will also be entitled to it. But they will have to meet the other criteria also. Applications open third week in August, I understand. Yes, John, we'll we'll open in the third week of August and we will pay as soon as possible thereafter, bearing in mind that we can't pay before the 15th of October because the funds coming from Europe 
are part of the 2020 financial year, and that commences on the 15th of October. So I'll be hoping to be paying very soon thereafter. Minister, you will be aware about the anger and frustration and disappointment by the ICMSA, in particular the Irish Creamery Milk Supplier Association, that you had not been making dairy farmers who had sold prime beef as part of their livelihood to qualify for the BEAM scheme. But I understand now you've um, softened up on that, and for people with 40 animals or less, producing 40 animals or less in a dairy enterprise, primarily dairy, they would qualify. To clarify that... Yeah, look, I, I acknowledge that, you know, whether the animal that was slaughtered was from a dairy herd or a beef herd, they all lost money. Now, I was faced with a dilemma in devising a scheme. It would have required 33 million of the 100 million to be ring fenced for the dairy sector if I opened it up to every dairy uh, farmer in the country. I felt that the conditionality that the Commission insisted upon in other words, the 5% reduction in their organic load over the reference period, was a condition that many wouldn't meet because most dairy farmers, their operations are going in the opposite direction. They're increasing productivity in livestock numbers. So the risk was ring-fencing that $33 million, then they not being able to apply and meet the conditionality would have meant that a potential €100 million Euro into the beef sector would have become a €67 million Euro injection into the beef sector. Now, I don't think that was a risk worth taking. I do acknowledge the losses they've had on their beef sector. But having said that, it's been a very good year for the dairy sector. And I think on balance, in the context of focusing scarce resources at those who need it most, that this was a reasonable compromise. The average dairy herd is about 100 cows. There are people with small dairy herds. And I've opened it up to people with 40 cows or less on the basis that they are genuine mixed enterprises and should be eligible to be included in the scheme. I can do that without impacting on the envisaged level of payment, which is €100 Euros per slaughtered animal and €40 Euros per suckler cow. We speak against the background of that totally unknown and threatening Brexit situation, so that's in the background and we have to qualify everything we say against that background. But could you outline to our listeners what exactly the recommendations are, as you understand them, of the recent report by the Climate Advisory Council and uh, Professor John Fitzgerald being chairperson, chairman of that group. What would the main recommendations be for sucklers in the dairy sector and beef, etc.? Well, I think, John, it's very important to clarify something. We have a government climate action plan, and as part of the overall infrastructure around the government endeavour, there is separately, and I emphasize the word separately, a climate advisory council. And they are free and independent thinkers, and they are capable of criticizing. Um, in, it's somewhat akin to the fiscal advisory council that advises the government on fiscal matters. This climate advisory council issues advice. Now, we have published a roadmap for the agricultural sector in the government's climate action plan, and it contains 34 specific actions that agriculture will need to embrace to meet our 2030 targets. They're challenging, they're onerous, they involve every farmer taking actions to meet those 2030 targets. But they are very different to the critique that was published by the Climate Advisory Council, who spoke about various other options that may be available. And what I'm saying really to farmers out there, dairy or beef, or indeed any other sector, because climate involves all of us taking 
individual actions, is that we can meet the challenge in the agricultural sector without reducing the herd, provided we engage proactively with all of the issues that have identified in what's sometimes referred to as the Tagusk MAC curve. The 34 actions that are in the Climate Action Plan, they will enable us to arrive at our destination of a 30% reduction uh, in emissions, uh, provided we embrace all of those um, 34 actions um, without impacting on the national herd. Now, Minister, we find that Professor John Fitzgerald, as I understand it, he was saying, look, reduce the suckler herd, reduce the number of beef animals, and at the same time, do not fill in that vacuum with an increase in the dairy herd, turn to alternative land uses such as forestry, which, of course, is anathema to true farmers, the idea that you'd be getting rid of beef or sucklers or dairy enterprises to turn to forestry. So you were saying that's that's a report separate from the government's plan, and you are saying, as I understand it to our listeners, that if we follow instructions, follow the plan carefully, we won't have to have a mass exodus from beef and livestock, uh, dairy and sucklers. Absolutely, but we will have to embrace the detail of the government's climate action plan as they apply to agriculture. There are many different routes that we could travel to, to arrive at the same destination. I do not believe it is desirable for, for many reasons, for rural uh, economy reasons, for agricultural reasons, indeed from the point of view of sustainability, because if we were to dismantle our herd, others will only step into the breach who may not be as efficient as us. So we have a roadmap to reduce our emissions profile in agriculture without impacting on the herd. But if we don't embrace that, then other measures may come into sharper focus. And that's what I want to avoid. Have you modified your thinking about the Mercosur deal insofar as we know about the draft deal? Because initially you said uh, this was a shock, you understood the shock element and that you'd try and block it if at all possible. But have you, as they say in political circles, used to say, on mature reflection, whatever, that you now feel there might be something to deal with there, to tease out, or are you still looking at the Mercosur deal as really very, very bad for Irish and European agriculture, particularly beef? Well, I haven't minced my words on, on, on Mercosur. It is a real challenge for Irish agriculture and beef in particular. I do make the point, and I stand by my analysis, it is a headline political agreement that no government no member state has approved. The European Parliament hasn't approved it. We have an outline of a, of, of a proposed deal with chapters in it on environment, chapters in it on welfare, chapters in it on uh, labour law, chapters in it on indigenous people. I think there is an opportunity for us to stitch into the detail legally binding obligations to ensure that if there is access to our market, that it is on the basis of fair uh, not just free trade, but fair trade and, and a level playing pitch. And that's what I will be using the intervening period to ensure. We're a long ways from Mercosur becoming a threat uh, to you know, the immediate price of beef, for example, in, in, in the Irish uh, context. It's some years down the line, and we have an opportunity to influence the shape of the final legal document within which trade will be conducted. And that's what I will be concentrating my efforts in, insofar as I'm involved in this position that I hold now um, in, in, the, in the immediate future, is looking at that detail and raise that issue. In fact, most recently at a Council of Agricultural Ministers in, in Brussels only two weeks ago. 
So that's where the opportunity is for us. I'm also, John, um, conscious of the fact that, look, we are a small island producing a lot of food, substantially more, 10 times more than what we need for ourselves. So we trade globally, and we do so by virtue of trade agreements. Those trade agreements, I've always said, can't be a one-way street for getting our product to other markets but not opening up our markets. We access those markets by virtue of the fact that we're part of the European Union, a 500 million euro consumer block that conducts trade negotiations. When it does it, we follow in quickly on, on the coattails of those agreements, whether it's to Mexico or Japan or China or Korea, looking for opportunities for all of our agri-food offerings. Mercosur is a challenge for us, but I think if we use the intervening time wisely, we can make sure that the competition is fair competition. I understand as part of the EU-Japan trade deal signed in the recent past, there are now big opportunities, big potential for Irish sheep meat exports to Japan. Yes, I mean, uh, this has been um, a project that I've been involved with for a couple of years now, and I'm glad to say that one of the successes of a recent trade mission was opening up the Japanese market uh, for sheep meat exports. And might I add, one of the the critical components in terms of our ability to open that, that market was the fact that we have a proper traceability system. You might recall, not without controversy, you know, the, the issue of uh, electronic uh, tagging system for sheep. It is reaping dividends. I'm not saying, you know, that... Um, that of itself will, will, will uh, inflate the price of, of uh, sheep meat, but it is a factor in opening markets for us. And in fact, we're awaiting a visit now, uh, later uh, in, in the coming weeks, from the Chinese authorities with a view to uh, approving sheep meat for export to China as well. Um, we're engaged in negotiations with the US, and one of the critical issues that they raised, uh, apart from scrapey issues, was also our own traceability. So, Look, we had to move on, on sheep EID because of public health issues and the fact that the, you know, the Food Safety Authority had a report which is highly critical of the lack of traceability in the, in the sheep meat sector. But it also has other dividends in terms of market access. The market access unit in my department, whether it is sheep meat for export to Muslim countries or any other market, the market access unit is extremely active in all of these areas beef to China, new markets in Qatar, Kuwait uh, for beef exports to Ukraine, um, live exports, um, you know, this year our live exports total are up 30% on 2018 levels, which in themselves were up uh, significantly on 2017. So there's a lot of credit due to the people in fairness in that sector in the, in the department who are continuously working, uh, looking for uh, opportunities for us in that area. But you refer to China and your connections with China. We saw, of course, not to rest on another man's wound, but we saw there in recent months the impact of ASF, African swine fever, on the Chinese pig herd. And it had been suggested this would offer great market opportunities for foreign providers of protein, foods, meat, whereas the Chinese had traditionally been pork and rice or pork and veg eaters. They would have to expand their selection of, of meat to beef, sheep, etc in order to fulfil the big gap left uh, by the ASF depredations, African swine fever? Well, uh, a couple of points on that. Uh, we will have the Chinese delegations over to approve a substantial number of additional beef plants for exporting there, and that will see the volume of beef going into China this year significantly increase, and hopefully that will, will help with a, a difficult and deflated uh, market presently. 
African swine fever uh, is a big problem there, and it, the consequences of it has seen the price here rise to over 170 a kilo, which is a very welcome uh, development for the pig sector, which had been going through a very difficult period up to six months ago. So, you know, there there is some opportunity for us there, and the expectation is, but this is this takes a little bit more time, is that meat protein shortages may see a fillip in the marketplace also for other protein sources, including beef. Um, I mean, the Chinese consumption of beef, from recollection, ours is about 20 kilos per capita per annum. Theirs is about three and a half to four kilos per capita per annum. So even if they were to switch from pork to beef in small measures, it would have an enormous opportunity for us. Derogation. There are about 5,800 derogation farmers, I understand, in Ireland. Now, the report of the recent review group on nitrates and derogation, do you feel, we're talking the whole time about the possibilities rather than the hold-ups, we're talking about the possibility, do you think farmers will be able to cope with the so-called less low-emission slurry spreading requirements you know, for nitrates, uh, derogation farmers? Do you feel it is practical to hope that we can fulfil those requirements and the 5,800 derogation farmers retain their status? This is a really big issue for us, John, and the most important thing that's on the horizon for us is to make sure that at the next hurdle that we have to clear at an EU level that we retain that derogation. And I make that point uh, based on the experience of other member states who have struggled to retain it, and also on the point that many member states all of the newer accession states do not have any access to a derogation facility, and they look inversely at us. The derogation for those members who are not familiar is a license to farm at a higher stocking density. And in order to ensure that, we're dealing mostly with the, the very commercial uh, livestock area, um, dairy in particular, and there are uh, more onerous uh, conditions on them, and they have to do with protecting groundwater, biodiversity, etc., and I think the the midterm review has identified a roadmap which will make it easier for us to negotiate the next hurdle at the European Union level if they see that we are proactive ourselves in this area. And all of the issues that have been uh, you know brought forward by that review are really practical steps and are part of the climate change issue anyway, moving from uh, splash plate to low emission slurry spreading. That, you know, gives us an immediate win in terms of ammonia, uh, which, which is a really big challenge for us in, in, in terms of greenhouse gases from agriculture. Using a proper uh, lime strategy on individual derogation farms, that maximizes um, the returns from chemically applied fertilizer and, you know, saves money ultimately for farmers. So I think the, the, these issues are really practical uh, issues, but they're also an investment in retaining a derogation which is of huge importance to those individual farmers. As Minister for Agriculture, Food and the Marine, you must be extremely pleased to read reports that former Skull Community College pupil, West Cork, Fionn Ferreira, has won the Google Science Fair Award for his project helping save the world's oceans from the growing problem of microplastics. 18-year-old Fionn Ferreira. Well, absolutely, uh, John, and, and congratulations to Fiona. It's a fantastic uh, international recognition. I'm in, in my own department, we are involved with the fishing industry in terms of 
providing facilities for them to retrieve plastics at sea, as you'll appreciate, fishermen, because of the, 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 the trawling by their nets, they catch up a lot of ocean debris. And we have now worked with them in providing infrastructure onshore to process the waste that they accidentally harvest from the seas. Over uh, 300 tonnes of plastic had been retrieved by our fishing industry up to, I think it was the end of April this year. And increasingly it's being uh, participated in by more and more of the fishing industry. And whether it is those big bulky plastic part nets, part plastic bottles that they retrieve, or the microplastics that Fiona's been involved in, the oceans are hugely important to us. The health of our oceans is a critical part of our global climate issues. And, you know, all of these initiatives, we often think, you know, sometimes that we can be overwhelmed by the issues of climate. It is by individual actions, by these fishermen, by Fionn's scientific uh, research and, and project, uh, by the actions of individual farmers, whether it's through programs like GLOSS or BDGP, by grassland management, by better application of fertilisers, uh, by proper liming programs, by milk recording and improving the genetic merit. All of these measures contribute to our obligations in terms of climate change. And I think we can be ambitious, we can be global leaders in this area and at the same time protect our agricultural food and fisheries industries into the future. Thank you very much indeed for your valuable time. Minister for Agriculture, Food and the Marine, Deputy Michael Creed. Thank you, Minister, very much indeed. Thanks a million. Life is full of what-ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard Fixed Indemnity Insurance Plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Joining us on the farm programme, we have Mr. Adrian O'Callaghan, Dairy Advisor, Chagask in Mallow. First of all, Adrian, welcome to the programme. Uh, looking at the general situation on farms, we turn to grass. The grass situation. Thank you, John. Um, I suppose the grass situation on farms is very variable, I suppose, at the moment. Um, some farms have got very dry and uh, farmers have been supplementing stock with uh, some silage and, and an extra meal. 
and there's other farms then that are, have very good growth and, and are running into surpluses and are, are taking out silage. So it is variable, but I presume after the, the amount of rain we got there in the previous week, a lot of farms now are coming into a good place where growth has picked up and uh, grass supply is good on the farm. I suppose the focus for the, the next few weeks it has now turned to um, building grass on the farm for the autumn. Um, really, I suppose the target should be from a rotation point of view that we're now probably around 20 or 21 days and we probably should hold the rotation lint at 21 days for another week or 10 days. And But from then on, I suppose we need to be lengthening the rotation and we need to get somewhere in the region of 30 days uh, rotation lint by the 1st of September. Um, I suppose the question may be asked of how do we do that and on some farms it's it's a kind of a natural process um, ground comes back from silage and it, be, it's may, it, it becomes available to the stock again so the, the farmer's stocking rate decreases and, and the extra land that comes in gives extra days grazing so without thinking it they really go from 20 days to 30 days rotation but for farmers that have a high stocking rate um, on the farm and there's no extra ground coming back to them well they must then kind of gain two and a half days a week for the next four weeks to go from 20 days to 30 days by the 1st of September and that may, might mean mean that they must monitor the growth and, and, and they must ensure that the, the growth is, is higher than their grass demand on the farm so to give you an example if we're if a farmer's demand is 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 sixty, um, we we would be saying like to to get from twenty days to thirty days in a month, um, roughly. Then he needs to be kind of growing seventy on the farm to do that. So I suppose for them type of farmers, they might have to introduce an extra bit of supplement to gain days um, uh, to do this. Now there is a danger then that if after the rain the growth will pick up to a point that we'll we gain too many days and we end up on the first of September at. 35 day rotation and going into big covers um to two thousand two and a half thousand so i suppose it's it's a kind of a thin line between having not enough grass or having too much grass or just having the ideal so i think really over the next few weeks farm uh, dairy farmers and all farmers and this is uh, this is for all farmers whether you're dairy or beef farmers we need to lengthen the rotation we need to look at uh, the grass supply in farms we need to walk the farms and we need to monitor it for the next few weeks so the key word there, management, uh, management of resources, and I think it's uh, fairly true to say it's been a very good year for grass and uh, for silage making in general. Uh, absolutely, like out on farms at the moment, you go into farms, there's, there's full silage pits, there's two or three uh, stacks of bales, uh, plenty of hay inside in the shed, so it's been a great year for grass growth. Um, and talking to groups in the last week, like they they've grown nine and ten ton of uh, of grass dry matter already. And if our target is to grow fourteen or fifteen, we will grow probably somewhere between four and five um, from the the fifth of August onwards to the first of December. So, absolutely, um, up to this point, we're well on target to grow fourteen or fifteen ton of grass, which is the target. I suppose the other thing just to bear in mind is um, a fertilizer. This thing grass growth won't happen without fertilizer. So I suppose the key thing is. We're still talking about a unit a day, a unit of nitrogen a day. So at the moment, we're probably spreading twenty to twenty-five units. And as we get out closer to the end of the month, we'll be we'll be looking at twenty-five to thirty units of nitrogen. I suppose the other thing I must uh, say as well is is with regard to soil fertility, we're still very offside with with soil fertility. P, uh, phosphorus, um, potash, and lime. 
and I think the opportunity is there um, at the end of the year to maybe spread a small bit of uh, compound a uh, bit of a bit of pea if your allowance is low but we must bear in mind as well that there's no limit on potash um, there is a limit on phosphorus but no limit on potash there's an, and no there's no limit on lime so we can go out and we can spread K and we can spread lime and I suppose we've never got better conditions John to spread lime ground is, is rock hard anywhere you travel any field in the country these days um, with a lime spreader so take that opportunity and, and, and go out and spread the lime that your soil samples say you require and it is generally speaking still despite all the advice by Chagask over the years I think it's still true to say that many soils when you check them have a lime deficit and they, by applying lime you help the P and K develop the full potential of grass growth Absolutely like 50% of our soils are still offside for either lime P or K and um, as you just said, John, you spread lime. Um, if your if your pH is wrong in the soil, for every bag of fertilizer you're spreading, you're probably you're probably only getting seventy five percent of the wort you spread. And and secondly, if your lime is offside, your pea, especially your pea, is being locked up in the soil. It's what we call an, an an unfair bank. It's it's storing it, but it's not giving it back to you. So you spread the lime, um, two ton to the acre. You raise the pH up to six or six point two. And automatically then the, the pea becomes available and, and you get the full benefit for the nitrogen that you're spreading on your ground. Now, not to labour the point, but uh, Chagask advisors again and again have emphasised the importance when it comes to soil, of soil testing, to know just which areas need lime most or need application of fertiliser most. As regards um, applying fertiliser, soil testing for the cost of soil testing there's a wonderful return in terms of production and money in the farmer's pocket if they are concerned with trying to somehow generate a bit of a margin absolutely like if soil testing and and i suppose we would be saying like probably not to soil test the while it's a little early but um absolutely i'd advocate soil testing in, in all places and and maybe from the from the first of the simber on when all the nutrients is out and and the grass uh, growing season is over that you'd go soil testing from the first of the simber on and and you said the benefit absolutely there's a five six seven fold benefit a soil sample will cost you 25 uh, euros maybe and and it'll last for for three to four years but if you correct the the lime or the or the the, the pea um, issue on the farm look you're going to grow a ton and a half or, or two ton extra of grass and, and a ton of grass dry matter is worth uh, 173 euros so that's what uh, that's uh, 350 euros back for um, and and the, the soil test is 25 euros and on top of that the cost of rectifying the problem absolutely you'll get paid handsomely for correcting the issue a sevenfold return on your investment. Absolutely, like uh, uh, there isn't too many places where we can invest money and and and, and we can get a, uh, that that rate of return. Um, so absolutely, the 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 return on investment is 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 big. Turning to breeding, the breeding season, Adrian, could you please review where we are now with the breeding season? So I suppose on a lot of farms um, that you call uh, that we call it at this stage. Uh, in effect, in the in the farmer's own head, the the breeding season is finished. But you go out and you see the stock bull still with the cows, and he's there to keep him quiet or just to keep him happy. I suppose at this stage, it's time for him to to take a holiday. He needs to be pulled out. Thank you, Adrian, Mr. Adrian O'Callaghan, dairy advisor, Chagaskin Mallow, and we'll have more from Adrian in the midweek edition of the Dairy Gold Farm Talk program on this coming Wednesday evening between 10 p.m. and 11. Thank you, Adrian, very much indeed. Thanks, John. Joining us on the farm 
programme, Miss Helen O'Sullivan, Secretary of the Cork branch of the Beef Plan Movement. Helen, you've been demonstrating for some days outside the factory in Bandon. Can I ask you, what's the update on the situation? I would like to thank the Gardaí that have assisted us here at ABP Factory in Bandon. They've been outstanding. Um, they've been very helpful. I'd like to thank Dave Callahan, Emmett Daly and two Bangardas, Jimma and Louise. Uh, very helpful in every way. I'd also like to thank all the local people in Bandon for their support, the local shops and businesses for bringing food up here to us every day and for being very supportive. I'd also like to thank uh, Michael Collins, Independent TD, for being with us here every day, for calling up to us in the night time, uh, for ringing us and for being there at the drop of a hat to assist us in every way possible. So again, thank you, Michael Collins, for that. The mood up here, you know, at the start of the week was very angry and farmers were very frustrated. I suppose our livelihoods are at risk here because um, the price of meat has dropped down to 3.45 a kg now and rumours it'll drop further for next week. But, I mean, the farmers just cannot take any more because, you know, we have to make a living out of this and the cost production is way above what we are getting, um, roughly around 5.38 to produce a kg of meat. So the sums just don't add up here and I think it's an absolute disgrace that it's been going on for so long and something really does have to be done about it. Now the farmers here as well have been more than supportive. All the local farmers here are fantastic and people around Cork. But unfortunately, a few of the farmers and uh, hauliers did pass the picket line and it was very disheartening to see that this year fellow farmers passed the picket line. Here we are trying to get a fair price for everyone. So I'm asking all farmers to come together to support us and all people in agri-sectors as well, let it be the vets, contractors, hauliers, to unite with your fellow farmers in getting a better price for their cattle. Are you calling for members of the various farm organisations, the various rural organisations, to come to the protests and by their presence, by their presence there, to show support at this crucial time. I am calling upon all of the farming organisations out there to come and support Beef Plan's peaceful protest. And if we have the numbers, we will be able to achieve what we're looking for. And that is a cost reduction plus a margin. People need to come together from all sectors, from all organisations, and help the farmers and support the farmers because it's been going on for too long. This didn't happen today or yesterday. This is going on for the last 15, 20 years. The lower prices uh, farmers are getting, is there any noticeable or discernible lowering, similar lowering, a corresponding lowering of prices in the shops, in the butcher shops, the supermarkets? Actually, the price of meat has increased by 0.5 to 1% in the shops. So meat in the shops and supermarkets have actually risen, but yet the price... The, the farmers getting the primary producers has dropped. So it doesn't make sense. There's somebody making money somewhere. Again, if you buy 10 euros worth of meat today in the supermarket, the retailer gets 5 euro 10 for three days' work. The processor gets 2.90 for three days' work. And the farmer gets only 2 euros, John, for two years' work. So that's only 20% of that price. You recognise the right of people to break the picket if they feel for their own reasons they have to. But you don't actually blockade anyone from going in if that's their own independent decision. We're not blocking anybody. This is a peaceful protest. And I understand a lot of farmers, they've said to us here today and the last few days that, you know, 
we have to get our cattle in. They're going to be over 30 months. We're going to get an awful lot less. And some of the farmers are distressed and, you know, they're, they're, they're put under pressure. So that's why we've called upon the Minister, the Beef Plan Movement, to abolish these anti-competitive practices. The four-movement rule, the 30-month age limit. I mean, this is only another way of taking money off the farmer. When you go into a shop, John, there's not a shelf there where it says, this meat is over 30 months, so you'll get it cheaper. Or, this meat has been moved six and seven times. It's going to be so much cheaper. So it is all wrong. The system is wrong. There are too many anti-competitive practices there, keeping the price of meat down and taking the money off the farmer. Now, there was some men that drove in there, and they were kind of aggressive as well. You know, we asked them, would they support us? And they seemed happy enough with the price. We would love to see these people, you know, stand with their fellow farmers and help us get a proper price for our produce and look at the bigger picture. People might be enticed today and tomorrow to cross that picket line. But what about six months' time? You know, as we're hearing, price of meat is going to drop every week from from here on in. So why don't they stand with us now and all farming organisations come together and stand together and unite and try and get a proper price for the farmer? That's all we're looking for, just the price of production and a slight margin to keep our livelihoods alive and to keep rural Ireland going. You thanked the Gardaí for their cooperation, but you are, of course, aware that some people feel that it's a shame that the Gardaí should have to be policing what is essentially a protest against uh, low factory prices. Well, I think it's great to have the Gardaí here on hand because, like I said, some of the people that passed the picket line turned out to be quite aggressive and they had quite erratic driving as well, which is dangerous. So I think it's good to have the thing manned because we don't want to have people to be knocked down or killed over this um, you know um, I understand that we are short on Gardaí but I think without the farmers in Ireland there won't be many people left in rural Ireland because if we can't make a living John who's going to go into the farming who's going to be bothered to go into farming getting all that, that stress and hardship hard work and not getting paid for it most people will be enjoying themselves but we'll be sitting here you know, we, we, we're looking for support. The more support we have, the better. Again, we, you have number, power in numbers. So we're again asking all farming organisations to come and join us. We don't care what farming organisation you're involved in because at the end of the day, we should have all the same um, purpose and that is to represent our farmers and to get a pr- better price for them and that they can have a livelihood here. And I'm asking everyone in the area that can come to support this and help us um, achieve what we're looking for. Thank you very much indeed, Miss Helen O'Sullivan, Secretary of the Cork Branch of the Beef Plan Movement. Thank you very much indeed, Helen. Thank we you, John. Mr. Jim O'Regan, a major tillage farmer in the Ballinaspital area of West Cork and also a member of the De Courcy Vintage Club, reminds our listeners about a very important upcoming event on the 5th of August over the bank holiday weekend. The De Courcy Vintage Club uh, we're holding our annual working day event. Uh, it's a vintage event uh, of all types of tillage and uh, harvesting machinery. It's on an August bank holiday Monday, the 5th of August, at Sandy Cove Ben Hospital on the lands of the O'Donovan family, by their kind permission. Uh, it'll be well signed postage on from, I, I, I'll deal with the, the directions first, from Cork, you come towards Kinsale, out past the airport and into Kinsale, and it'll be well signed posted from uh, the Kinsale. That is for people coming from East Cork and possibly North Cork. For North West Cork, you come into Bandon Town, take the road to Bandon Hospital, 
Banlidee Banlispital, and again, once you enter Banlispital Village, it'll be well signposted from there. For people coming from West Cork, come to Clannacilty, Timmy come along the coast road and into Banlispital, and again, it will be well signposted from there. Um, it's the, the, as I said, John, it is the usual annual event. It's now on its ninth year, a huge, uh, hugely successful event. I think we were the first club to start a walking day event, and it has gone from strength to strength. And we have had some major um, sponsors, class, New Holland, down through the years, drawing huge attendances, and we hope that this one will be no different. This year, the event is being run in conjunction with Farmhand Farm Machinery. Uh, they are uh, the Amazon and Crone dealers, and uh, as well the local dealer here is Mr. Derry O'Donovan in Timmy League, and we thank them for their, their cooperation in uh, in running the event. So we'll have the usual thing, John. We'll have the Reaper and Binder, uh, old Reaper and Binder. We will have horse uh, operating Reaper and Binder, as well as tractor event. We will have steam engine crashing. We have a Crawley engine, and I think there's only one of these machines, one of these engines working successfully in this in Ireland. Uh, they're a rare a, a machine, a rare engine uh, that has been salvaged from a, a mill, an old dry, an old grain mill in West Cork. Uh, it has been salvaged from there and uh, uh, reconstructed to to running, and it, it's it's certainly a, a joy to see. I think, as I've said to you, there's only one of these engines operating in the Republic of Ireland. From there, we have vintage combines and rolling mills, and you know the usual. Uh, ploughing and tilling, all vintage and modern. But as well as, well as that, we are extremely honoured and pleased to have Mr. Uh, Liam O'Driscoll, uh, the European ploughing champion of last year. He is here. He has he won a prize, as you're well aware, of a, a massive articulated tractor for being the European champion. So we are delighted to see that Liam will be here demonstrating that tractor on the day on a seven for a plough. So that in itself is going to be a huge attraction. Thank you very much indeed, Mr. Jim O'Regan, a member of the De Courcy Vintage Club. And that big event is taking place on the 5th of August. Listeners are reminded there is a farm walk for the 2018 Carberry Milk Quality Award winner. It takes place on Tuesday, 13th of August. This year's winner, Nigel Daunt, Cool Kalitha in his Shalankari Cork, is a new entrant to dairying and is hosting the walk. That's on Tuesday, 13th of August. And that's our programme for this morning. I'm John O'Connor. Thanks to John Foot on Controls. And as always, thanks to you, the listener, for tuning in. Have an enjoyable August bank holiday weekend. Next Farm Talk programme scheduled for this coming Wednesday evening between 10pm and 11. Thanks for listening. Dairy Gold Agribusiness. For quality feed, expert service and support you can trust. 
the official ETF of the NCAA. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. 